Hey everyone, this is Earl Holland, host of the Sports Refuge Podcast. I'm bringing you a special crossover episode I recently recorded with the Movies Animal Podcast crew, along with a friend of the show, Mark DeMora, where we go into an in-depth discussion on one of our favorite movies, Back to the Future, which was released 35 years ago. Topics of interest include our thoughts on several iconic characters and the actors who portrayed them, the influence the movie had on us, and whether they should release the Eric Stoltz cut of the film. In our next regular episode, episode 62, my guest will be Mitchell Northam. More than a year since I first interviewed him, Mitch has had a lot happen to him, including a move from Georgia to North Carolina, a change in jobs, and a recent engagement. We'll talk about that migration north, the opportunity to write about sports in the Atlantic Coast Conference, and much more. New episodes are available each week on Apple Podcasts, Podbean, Spotify, the iHeartRadio app, and wherever else podcasts are heard. You can also go to the Sports Refuge website for a complete archive of episodes. But before that, here's my crossover with the Movies and a Meal crew and Mark DeMora. Thanks for listening, and have a good one. All right, welcome to episode 98 of Movies and a Meal, a podcast where we talk about movies and other things while we eat. I'm your co-host, Ben, and with me always is Keith. Hey. And then there's Brad. What's up? All right, and we're joined by not one, but two guest stars and veterans bum, bum, bum. <laughs> Veterans of the podcast. First, uh, Earl, say hello. Hey, everybody. How are you guys doing? Great. Hey, Earl. Earl's been on a bunch of times, and uh, he was on our kind of retro review with Clue. And then we also have Mark. First joined us for Review to Kill. Mark, how you doing, man? Good. How is everyone doing? All right. All right. Good. 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 Good to be back. Uh, <laughs> thanks for coming back. Yeah. So we are going to talk about a... Basically, a Stone Cold classic, Back to the Future from 1985, <laughs> starring Michael J. Fox, you know, Christopher Lloyd of the, of the Big Two, Crispin Glover, Leah Thompson, and some other folks, too, that um, you'll see. Mm-hmm. And actually, the timing is good. You know, um, we're recording this kind of at the end of June. Uh, this movie actually made its debut in theaters on July 3rd, 1985. Mm-hmm. So we're just about on the 35th anniversary. I want to bounce it to our guests, Mark and Earl. This is your guys' pick. So whoever wants to start, and why did you pick? Why did you guys pick this movie? Um, I can start. This movie is probably one of the earliest movies I remember showing up on TV on a constant basis. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was born in 1983, so I was born two years before this movie came out. And to me, this Ghostbusters. And maybe a couple other movies were in the rotation of stuff that we would see on TV uh, on a consistent basis. And, you know, in the early days of HBO and things like that. And to me, it just holds so many memories. And it gave me a feeling of having an interest in science. Of course, that was fleeting because I remember (laughs) not good at science, nor did I like it. But it was just, it was, you know, I feel like, the older I get, the more I understand a lot of the jokes in there and a lot of the things. And to me, the movie is 100% pure 1980s. Yeah, this movie is very, very important to me. I was born in 86, but this is probably the most important movie um, to me in my life. Because like Earl said, during that time period, late 80s, early 90s, when we were growing up, it was on constant rotation. And as all my friends know my interest in science has always been there. I studied physics in college. That's what my PhD will be in. I directly attribute Back to the Future to being the movie that made me pursue that path in life. You know, it, the movie was truly that influential to me because it was 
not only just, you know, an entertaining, good time, you know, funny movie, but it really sparked my imagination as I think it did for so many kids back then and brought, like Earl said, that interest in science for the first mm -hmm. time to so many. Um, time travel, even though it's the year 2020, is still not here yet. It's one of those elusive theories and problems in physics and, and all science where it's like, is this truly possible? And it, I think, inspired so many modern scientists and just overall science-interested people today, and I was one of them. Yeah, I mean, I, I think definitely it's a, it's a pretty formative movie for a lot of us. In fact, you know, Earl, this is a little tangent. Do you still have a – didn't I give you a out-of-time keychain? <laughs> It's all my keys. Since the day you gave me that, it has not left my keychain. <laughs> I have had more keychain, I guess, lanyards or whatever, lanyard holders than I have ever had. And I have kept that license plate on there pretty much to this day. Yeah, I, I, I know you still have die, it. So, you know, that'll be yours when we get it back. How about Keith and uh, Brad? You guys want to weigh in on your experience with Back to the Future? Keith, you want to go first? Well, I'm older than you guys. I was 15 when he came out. I can remember seeing this in the theater. And with 80s movies, they're all fun. But this one is not only smarter, like you guys said. It's, it's got a lot of heart. It's just cool. Mm -hmm. I mean, Ghostbusters holds up, eh, sort of. And uh, we watched uh, Jurassic Park. That has the thrills. This to me is the 80s movie that had everything. And, and then nobody really expected it. Robert, I mean, Zemeckis had the, had the struggle to make this. And when it came out, it was an instant. I just, I just loved yeah. it from the start, Brad. Yeah, I mean, I, I read the trivia. Like, it was, <clears throat> nobody wanted it. I mean, either they thought it was, um, wasn't edgy enough, or in Disney's case, they didn't like the um, implied relationship. I won't, we won't get into that a little later. <laughs> but uh, but I, I was a little older when I saw this. Um, I didn't. Uh, I was. I'm born '85 too, so I just. I just missed it. But um, when I saw it when I was, was older, it was. Uh, it was definitely an interesting movie. Definitely very fun. A lot of high high action. I mean, it's Michael J. Fox and uh, Lloyd, Christopher Lloyd. They have great chemistry together. I mean, it's just. It's just a fun '80s movie. I mean, and like like Keith said. I mean, it's just fun to watch and just the the little jokes and the little nuances and Easter eggs and stuff. It's fun to watch, so. I think I saw this, I probably saw it on VHS, and, you know, there was a big interest, um, you know, in the late 80s and early 90s when the sequels were coming out, and I remember pretty vividly reading the novelizations of 2 and 3. <laughs> so, and, you know, it's funny, doing the rewatch this afternoon, I knew it was happening, but I'm so used to seeing the To Be Continued at the end, and the one on Netflix doesn't have it now. Um, so that was that was kind of a pleasant surprise, just the imagination of this. It was yeah. obviously going to continue. So yeah, yeah, why did yeah. you do that? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but you just think about the one, the staying power. I mean, this movie has been came out 35 years ago. There was a big hubbub on the 30th anniversary, 25th anniversary. It's just stayed in the public public conscious forever you know it's mentioned in avengers endgame yeah rick and morty yeah there's so many things i mean just yeah. and honestly just i think just our concept of time travel and that kind of butterfly effect and going into the past and changing the future Absolutely. there's probably other movies that have done it but i it's think probably, that back to the future has to be one of the ones that is to point at point at probably so. like the first mainstream exposure to it i mean there's probably some movies that came out that some people might know but this yeah. might be one where the mass mass public would probably sit and actually watch and possibly enjoy. Uh, that's exactly it. It was the first movie that truly, I think, made it consumable. 
I know, think like some esoteric scientific theory out there in the nebulous. Yeah. yeah. I think maybe, you know, Terminator had some talk about time travel, but didn't go way in depth about it. Right. And that's the one, the only other maybe early 80s uh, science fiction movie I can think of that involved time travel that really comes to my memory. Of course, there's plenty of other ones later. I think that Back to the Future is influential. Uh, on time travel as anything, any work by Joel Verne or, H, or H.G. Wells was mm -hmm. on to the movie itself. Yeah, I mean, you know, these movies, and what the beautiful, beautiful part is all these movies are available on Netflix, the entire trilogy, so if you had never seen before or you haven't seen in a while like I did, you know, I, I, watched, I watched the first one this afternoon and have a long weekend coming up with July 4th, I'm going to just double back and watch the other two. For those people who are not familiar with this movie, Brad, what's the, what's the summary of this thing? All right, as always, courtesy of IMDb, um, Marvel <laughs> a 17-year-old high school student is accidentally sent 30 years into the past, a time-traveling DeLorean invented by his close friend, the eccentric scientist, Doc Brown. I'll defer to our guests, Mark and Earl. Where do you guys want to start about this movie? I mean, there's a lot to talk about, but where do you want to begin? It's funny, just looking at some of the notes early on in the movie, I feel like one of the things I noticed, there are minimal plot holes, if anything. While yes. it's not the greatest movie, it's a solid movie, and there's, and there's always every question that you have that you think, oh, there's a plot hole or there's lack of continuity. It's always fixed from, from Uncle Joey as a baby and him not getting out of jail. Yeah. Uh, just, <laughs> Every little bit falls into place, and I think that's one of the best parts because you have plenty of movies, especially even from that time, anything with the sequel or whatever, there's a huge gaping plot hole, and especially in the era of movies going two and a half, three hours, you still feel like there's been something cut out of a lot of them, and for a movie like this, I feel like, you know, aside from the deleted scenes that maybe didn't add a lot to it, I felt like there was nothing that you had a question about. As I've gotten older, and I 100% agree with Earl, this is one of those movies that even as I've gotten over has still held with me and I've grown to respect it even more and more because like Earl said, it is so tightly written um, and there are so very few plot holes and there are so many elements of the movie that are, that even though it is a very 80s movie, there are so many elements of it that are just timeless. Regardless, I mean, you look at the hairstyles, you look at the fashion, the fact that he's driving a DeLorean, you know, for example, very, very 80s. The music that's playing is, is 80s. But, you know, even all that, you look at the movie as a whole, the movie as a whole is just timeless. And I think it was written, even though they didn't expect it to be such a big hit. I do think it was kind of written with the idea. It's like this could take this takes place in 85, but could really happen at any point. You know, the situations, what would happen if you were to go back into the past and meet your parents? What craziness would ensue and how could it affect your future? I mean, that's kind of a timeless type of question that they were trying to answer here. And I think that they did a great job of just showing what the, you know, consequences could be. And then of course, two and three followed it up with expanding that idea even more. So I think the idea is just timeless. And I think that also goes to show why there has been such a huge push by Zemeckis and Spielberg to be like, this movie will not be remade. You know, because there has been many attempts, many people talking about it, and Zemeckis is like, nope, you're not touching it. You're alone. <laughs> and I am so happy that that's the case. <laughs> I feel like that this movie, and maybe it's an unfair judgment, but I'll say Men in Black, the first Men in Black has similar vibes to Back to the Future, where it's a quirky mm -hmm. little movie that you don't think would work, but it works. And the yeah. difference between Men in Black 
and Back to the Future is, Back to the Future 2 was a better movie than Men in Black 2. And, and 3, while I've never been a fan of Western movies, um, still works better than Men in Black 3. And I agree with that too, because I'm not a fan of Western movies either, but I like the third one. <laughs> <laughs> and and I like I like how they um, not only did they have the eighties the eighties fashion, but I like when they traveled back in time. They sort of like poked fun at just the time difference between the two. Like in the fifties, absolutely, he's wearing like the vest, and everybody's like, "Oh, yeah. what'd you get? What'd you what, what are you wearing a life preserver for?" And then like like the um, the diner scene where like he's trying to start. I know Ben and I talked. Oh about yeah, that, he's like, "Give me a give me a tab." He's like, "Well, you gotta buy something for me to start a tab." <laughs> I mean, and just and and like even um, rain, rain. Like, yeah, like like how. When when they when you first see her, she's like harping on the no drinking, like typical for the boy to ask the girl, and like she's the exact opposite in the fifty. Yeah. So I mean, I just a lot of that stuff, like it's it's fun seeing that. And I think they did a great job building that up. Yeah, I think I don't know who said it, but someone basically said the Back to the Future screenplay is like the perfect screenplay. You know, it really addresses everything. And yeah, that whole concept. I mean, I know you guys are familiar with it. I mean, basically. Right, Bob Zemeckis and, and Bob Gale, they were looking through, like, what, I think one of them was looking through their old dad's yearbooks, and yes, they, yeah. they saw, they found out he was a president and of the, of the class, and then they got him to think, like, would I, if I travel back in time, would I be friends with my dad? And just, mm -hmm. you know, it's a simple concept, but it just executed really well on, on all levels. And, you know, even though I'd seen the movie, towards the end, you know, when... Doc Brown is trying to kind of figure things out. Like, you know, Marty's right, you know, he's ready to go. And the, the plug for the electric thing is <laughs> unplugged. And he's, and I can feel the tension. I'm like rooting. like, come on, Doc, yeah. you got, you know, yeah. and I, they, I know what happens. Yeah, no, they did a real good job of that. I mean, you, yeah, especially nowadays, you know what happens. But it's so, it's, uh, they built the tension up so well. And there was a couple scenes where they did that. Like the scene where, um, Marty gets locked in the trunk, and um, uh, uh, George, George, George. Uh, yeah, the dad's trying to like um, step up and step up for Lorraine, and it's just um, that they build the tension real well. And uh, but you know there are a couple of uh, problematic things in the movie. Why don't we table that till the end? Yeah. Let's talk about the general performances first. Yeah. Unless uh, Mark, did you have something? Did you want to just follow up on the screenplay or anything else? Yeah, I was just going to follow up in terms of the tension. I actually call Back to the Future a dramatic comedy, and I agree with everything that um, Brad said. The one thing I would say that also elevates that is the music. The score yeah. is fantastic, and it really, I mean, that, you know, everything comes at that perfect time. And, yeah, you just went through this, like, first 90 minutes of comedy, and the last, you know, whatever it is, 20 minutes is just, you know, nail-biting. Alan Silvestri's score, and then just the just – the Touch of Huey Lewis and Power of Love <laughs> yeah. and Back in Time. Or, yeah. It's a perfect mix of, uh, of good stuff. But yeah. let's talk about the performances first. Mm -hmm. The first guy, obviously, we got to talk about is Michael J. Fox. I think we all know the backstory for the people who don't know is that, you know, they wanted Michael J. Fox. They couldn't get him because of family ties. He had, yeah. he had a TV show at the time, and they hired Eric Stoltz. They filmed with Eric Stoltz. 
Eric Stoltz did not work out. Yeah. Michael J. Fox became free, so they just did the old flip flop, and the rest is history. Yeah. To our guest first, I mean, what do you guys like about Michael J. Fox's performance? I assume you like it. <laughs> yeah. I think, yeah, very believable him being a 17 year old. I, I don't know if this set the trend for uh, older people playing teenagers, which we would see in 90210 down the road, but. I feel like he was very convincing as a high schooler. Uh, it helps he had the youthful look to him. And he didn't play it over the top. I, and I feel like while a lot of people go to the movie because for, for the star power of Michael J. Fox, uh, he was well served with the really complimentary cast. And part of that also, I think, you know, just in terms of Michael J. Fox as a person, as an actor, like his mannerisms, his tone of voice, you know, all that kind of thing fits so perfectly. And again, the, the movie was, as you said, written for Michael in mind. So just a lot of the little things, you know, his little movements or how he says something, you know, raises tone, voice, all that kind of thing, how he reacts to Doc saying something crazy, you know. When you write a role like that for somebody and you try to get somebody else to play it, it's almost like, okay, I have to try to act like that actor who's acting like this character, yeah. you know. Whereas, you know, this was written for Michael and it incorporated just, you know, again, his quirks, his traits, his acting style. And by having, again, it kind of goes back to that if Eric Stoltz actually, that version went full and that was what released, I don't think it would have been nearly as memorable with him there. The Earl, right? You want uh, <laughs> hashtag release the, release the Stoltz cut? Yeah. Yeah, I, mean, I like to say it. And their mother's complaining about what the, you know, Batman versus Superman stuff and now the Justice League stuff that people are going to get it. Um, if the footage is there and apparently there's uh, debating between how much was shot and how much was finished, Mm. Uh, some people say it was maybe a little over a couple weeks. A lot of people said they were nearly done shooting. Why couldn't you do a an alternate cut, you know, pull a Richard Donner, pull a Superman 2 Donner cut, and do <laughs> a different version of Back to the Future? Everybody knows the Michael J. Fox version. Why not give it a shot? You could, The worst thing you could do is make more money off of it. I I'd mean, be curious to see it. it. And people will buy it, and you can maybe do it a double feature on the, on the original – you know, on the original movie, especially, you can wait five years, give it to the uh, 40th anniversary, and that'd be the perfect time. Um, you know, as long as Sols would, Eric Sols would be fine with it. I don't see any reason why he couldn't. And it'd be nice to see. Worst case, it goes from a blockbuster movie to a maybe uh, quirky B movie. Isn't some of that footage available? Can, um, right? Is it yes. all like, deleted scenes or like YouTube? Yeah. Around? I was actually checking what was on here. I have my Back to the Future DVD here, and there are a few takes with him on there. It's only like about a minute or two, though. Oh. It's not much at all. So, but yeah, it, it, it you can tell it's it's like one of the scenes was when Doc unveils the DeLorean for the first time. But again, it's only a very small segment of it, so you really can't get a full idea. But in that little segment, I already was like, this is different, you know. You know, he was just he, just, he was playing Marty McFly very differently. But another thing I like about uh, Michael J. Fox's performance is his comedic timing. I mean, it's just it's like he plays off. Uh, Christopher Lloyd so well. I mean, yes. he looks like the eccentric guy, and he's and Michael J. Fox doesn't play the straight guy, but he plays. It's sort of like an in-between straight straight guy slash uh, comedic partner type thing, and I think he does a real good job of that. I think it really is underrated performance by Michael J. Fox. I mean, he's just able to do everything. You know, he he's a teenager, but then also you know he's trying to be this guiding force to put uh, George and Lorraine together. Yeah and get that straight, and also, you know, explain to Doc, 
what's yeah. going on and like I need help even though you've never met me. It's just it's a it's a great performance by him. You know, it, it, in a weird way, it just it kind of made me sad that you know the Parkinson's disease has really kind of robbed us of, of you know a full Michael J. Fox career. You know, we never we never we never we never got to see like older Michael J. Fox like act serious and some other things. You know, we did a. We did an episode with um, with the American president where he, you know, he doesn't have a big role, but it, it, mm-hmm. he he really acts in that one, the one yeah. big scene that he has, and and he got to do a little bit uh, in the '80s uh, before, you know, with like Casualties of War, and there's a couple of Michael J. Fox yeah. movies. Frighteners is good too. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. and then you know. Um, Again, because I like cheese, uh, the hard way, the one with uh, James Woods. And, That's you know, a really fun. Yeah, <laughs> it's a good role, and again, it, it, again, it, in a weird way, it just felt a little bittersweet when I watched it today, just because I, I know that we just, we didn't get the full arc of uh, Michael J. Fox's career. But Chief, what do you? What well, do you, you know, it's a, it's funny. He, he's talked about it, and he, he said this was such a great movie because it was me. Yeah. You know, he, all he did was ride skateboard. You know, he worked, of course. Yeah. But he wanted to ride on a skateboard. He wanted to play his guitar. Yeah. He said he pretty much was Martin McFly, but they shot this at the same time as uh, Family Ties. Yeah. They wouldn't let him out. So he was probably working, I mean, close to a 20-hour Yeah, yeah. I mean, they, I, shot, they shot this at night. Family Ties are in the day. That's yeah. crazy. Yeah. I, I've Which makes the more even better. Yeah. You know? I, I, in the trivia, I'll, I'll definitely go, go more in depth on, on what, he, what his schedule was in the trivia. So it was, it was a pretty... Pretty active schedule. I will say this, that it makes you wonder, as you said, Ben, about uh, Michael J. Fox's future if he didn't have Parkinson's. But could he have gone a Tom Hanks route? Could he have gone a Tom Cruise route? I mean, because we always joke about, you know, what Tom Cruise is barely taller than Michael J. Fox, and they, everybody <laughs> takes him seriously as an action star. So, he would have been a quirkier I mean, actor. He would have been a great one, though. Well, yeah. he's still obviously a great actor, but he would have a quirkier career than Tom Cruise. Yeah. Yeah. Well, speaking of quirky people, yeah. I'll, I'll, um, I'll, I'll pair them together, but I'll, since we're really talking about quirky, let's talk about Crispin Glover as George Sly. <laughs> Jeez, you, you didn't go the route I thought you were going. Yeah, so. yeah. yeah. I mean, he, I mean I, that's right. I mean, I guess we could talk about Doc, but like, let's, we're already on the, I've already introduced the Crispin Glover segment, so... Um, We'll leave Doug for last. Mm-hmm. Even though like, Crispin Glover really goes for it, and yeah, what yes. same thing with um, Claudia mm-hmm. Wells, which I it always just runs in my head is that Crispin Glover is only in this movie. He's not in the other two movies, which I just never realized because I, it's been 20, 30 years since I've seen it. But he really, I, I, you know, I, I think in the trivia they say, I mean. I know Zemeckis really had to rein him in sometimes, and uh, he just was really out there a lot. But what did you guys think? Again, uh, Earl, Mark, Mark, you want to start? What do you got? Crispin Glover, is, you know, he steals so many of the scenes he's in. You know, again, it's kind of the same thing with Michael in that, you know, that he owned that role and his quirks and his behaviors, you know, the tones of voice, He, you know, that role was made for him and just – it's interesting, like, you know, because it's the same with Michael. Like, he, you can just look at Crispin's face, and you, he doesn't even say anything. And, you know, you can kind of fill in the gaps and see what's going on. You know, when he's interacting with Lorraine or when he's walking away, when, you know, at the dance, at the Enchantment Under the Sea dance, you know, the guy comes up, you know, he's trying to dance with her, and then he doesn't even really say anything. And then the guy pushes her out of the way. Crispin doesn't say anything. He just looks, and he starts walking away, just the way his shoulders are hunched just his whole body language and you don't, he doesn't need to be saying anything. And then just one little, excuse me, 
pushes him over. And it's like, you know, he can, Grisman could do so much and say just about nothing. And that's a sign of an amazing actor in my mind. So that's just one example. But yeah, Crispin, you know, and he played, you know, like the young George and the older George. And um, I think he conveyed that age difference also just excellent, you know, just yeah. little yeah. His, differences. Um, his makeup wasn't as bad as uh, Leah Thompson's, but no. we'll say that. Earl, <laughs> <laughs> no. what do you got? You know, uh, Crispin Glover, and I'll go back to what Brad said, how, how Michael J. Fox was able to transition from straight a funny guy and you know playing off Doc to the straight man playing off of Crispin Glover and Crispin Glover is a a talented actor and I feel like it's a movie where you need a lot of character actors and he and, and of course Christopher Lloyd which we'll talk about a little bit later fit the bill there and of course it's not like Crispin Glover and Michael J. Fox hadn't worked together before I. I remember they were in a movie together. I can't remember which one. I remember vaguely seeing it years ago, probably, uh, what, probably in the late '80s, early '90s. Um, it was before Back to the Future, but I can't remember it particularly off, off the top of my head. But the thing is that they've worked together before, so it's not like you're throwing these guys in together sight unseen. So I feel like they worked together before. That helped with the chemistry, and he played a convincing. Uh, George McFly, uh, eccentric and all, which is pretty much a Crispin Glover character. Yeah, and you know, I would even go so far as to say that Crispin Glover as an actor, at least in Back to the Future, is more, even more underrated than Michael. You know, yeah. I, I would that's not go so far to say. I'm yeah. trying to find that movie you're referencing, Earl. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's um, yeah, I, he's my secret MVP in this movie. I mean, it's, it's his... His mannerisms, I mean, his, his speech pattern. In, fact, in the trivia, it said that he was so nervous um, that that affected his movements and, and it also affected his speech. Like he couldn't, some, some he couldn't even, he couldn't even talk. He just whispered a line. And they said that, uh, he said in an interview with, uh, I believe it was Carson, that um, they had to read, they had to add the lines in afterwards. So, um, and his voice. So, I mean, that's, I mean, but I, I think it, it definitely adds to the character. I mean, it's just, he's, he's just, it, I don't want to say the word nerdy, but I mean, it's just like, he's so nervous. It just works with everything. Even the older, even the older, um, um, uh, George McFly. I mean, it's just the way he laughs at the, at the show. I just I chuckled. It's like, it's like, it's like, it's, it's so, it feels almost exaggerated, but at the point you're like, you can believe that he lasts like that just because of the way he plays it. And that scene is so important. It gives the movie all its poignancy in like, in like five minutes because, you know, uh, Marty doesn't want to be disappointed with his parents, but he clearly is. Yeah. So when he goes back in time, you know, it makes it all the more complicated that George is, George is a weird dude, yeah. but Marty wants to look up to him. But he, he knows his father is just a quirky disappointment. Yeah. So when he comes back yeah. at the end, it just gives you the, um, just the, you know, Marty's shocked by it, but it's just the perfect kind of. Uh, yeah, see Lorraine in, in the house, and and he and he's peeping on her. I mean, Chris uh, George McFly's peeping on her, and and, and Marty yeah. just stares in shock. He's like, "My father's a peeping Tom." It's just, it's so funny how he said it. I mean, it's just, I think it adds to it. So Earl yeah. and I had a discussion last night, and we kind of, kind of, kind of joked. It's like uh, one thing I've determined is that every main character in Back to the Future, in some form or another, is perverted. Yeah, yeah. That's, yeah. Really, yeah. that's what really struck. That's what really yeah. struck me is there's it's it's a it's a four year movie that I remember. Yeah. yeah, especially with the rain. Yeah, um, it, it really oh, is. Yeah. If I can just kind of circle back with uh, George and George McFly and Marty, their relationship. Yeah. You know, that's a really good point about 
especially in the beginning where Marty is watching his dad be bullied by uh, Biff, yeah. right? And just kind of, you can, you can see the disappointment yeah. in his face that George just cannot stand up to himself. And, yeah. you know, being able to, like, kind of mold him and guide him in that right direction. And then when he kind of gets freed from the trunk and he runs and he sees them and that they like he's already taken down Biff, you know, you can kind of feel that pride in him. I mean, part of it is just survival because he's like, okay, if they get together, that means I'm not going to fade away. But also you can just, you can feel like, okay, yes, like my dad has done something. Not not only that, I think it's an underrated scene is a scene where um, you find out that George McFly is writing sci-fi and Marty's, Marty's trying to encourage him to publish it. And he's like, well, no, it's nobody's going to care. And it's it's almost almost it's it's like you see it in Marty's eyes. He realizes that that's himself. Yeah. Like in the beginning, he's trying to get us um, get a get a CD um, um, tape tape, uh, tape recorded and uh, <laughs> in. and it's like yeah, his girlfriend's like you, you can do it. He's like yeah. I don't know. We yeah. they don't like it. Yeah. So I mean, it's the same thing. I mean, I mean, and 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 they, and it. I don't know if it really gets um, the, the that thought line gets settled, but I love the way they were going in that direction. Where it's like, because because that's well, spoiler alert for a movie that's almost thirty is thirty some years old. There's but no I mean, spoilers in this. Yeah, spoilers. but it's but the, the the future changed, and I mean, you don't really get a resolution to that plot thread. But I really love how they did that. How they kind of you can they mirror each other almost. So. And as far as being full of perverts, you're right. But this came out when Porky's was out. That's true. Yeah. Meatballs. Oh, yeah. Uh, stripes. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Know, this, was, uh, this, is, this was still a family movie. Yeah. But you're right. They were, they were very well-rounded dark characters. Yeah. Us. Well, that's what, I think that's what Brad was saying before. Like, <laughs> yeah. when, that's why nobody wanted because it was either yeah. not sexy enough or <laughs> in Disney's case. Yeah, or, too, or too weird. Yeah. You know, like possible mm-hmm. yeah, sexual relationships. Yeah. So. Mm-hmm. Yep. Well, think about this. Also, this is pre PG thirteen. Yeah, I'm right. wondering, had the ratings been out before then? This is a PG thirteen movie. This isn't a PG movie, but I mean, it had no choice. It was either teetering on this or R. And with you know, had this movie come along two or three years later, it's a PG thirteen movie straight up because yeah. of the swearing that's in it, uh, a lot of the other stuff. I mean, it's not your average PG movie, especially for the nineteen eighties. Yeah, for sure, for sure. But- well, let's talk about Lorraine then. Um, I like Leah Thompson's performance. Yeah. The makeup for her, not yeah, as good, no, especially in HD. Yeah. Not, it's not as good. Yeah. Not as good. However, uh, it's and this is this is sort of like for Christopher Lloyd. Did they use any makeup? Is is there any difference between um, uh, Doc Brown in uh, in '85 and Doc Brown in '55? No, no, no. The hair is a little bit blonder in '85. Yeah, yeah. See, okay. 55, but that's it. <laughs> yeah, and, and I was thinking, I was trying to look like I didn't know if the wrinkles on his neck had changed or not. I didn't know, but I was like, mm-hmm. I was like at, at least they tried for George and Lorraine. Like for yeah. Doc Brown, they're just like. Well, they, they had to because Christopher Lloyd was already older. I mean, Leah yeah. Thompson is twenty three in this yeah. movie, and so, she's got to be forty seven, I guess. I or, mean, they, couldn't they put like a wig on him or something? I mean, like, like I mean, it's just, I, I mean, it's 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 a minor nitpick, but it just, and I didn't mean to hijack it. That just it just crossed my mind. I was like, at least they tried for Lorraine and George. Like they didn't even try for for 
Or, the uh, one thing that's interesting is that I think it also kind of matches um, Doc's personality too, that even as a young guy, he still looked like mad yeah, scientist, yeah. you know, crazy hair, you know, all that kind of thing. It, it, you know, it, I understand what you're saying 100%, Brad, but it actually, it still works in my mind because it's, you know, because Doc's eccentric. He's a crazy scientist. Yeah, so no, of course no. he's going to have hair like Einstein and dressing yeah. like lab coats all the time and all that. So I, I agree it works. It just, it just, I was like, well, I mean, they but why couldn't I? <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't a big deal. It was just something I was just one of my, you know, I get nitpicky sometimes, yeah. and that was a little nitpick on mine. But I had that on my list because I had Leah Thompson aged better than the makeup they gave her at forty-eight yes. in real life because everybody yeah. sees Leah Thompson now, and then think about the ten years prior to that when she was probably in her, you know, early to mid forties. She looked better than what Lorraine looked like in the forties in her forties because it didn't look like a really bad makeup job. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean she's you know she's she's I think twenty three when she did this movie mm-hmm. and she's kind of really cresting on the first part of her career. She's been in, you know she was in like Red Dawn. She would do Howard the Duck, which isn't a good movie, but Ooh. I mean she was in the, she was in it and she just was in a, in a bunch of other things. But well, she works in this. I mean she's basically the only female lead in this yeah. entire movie. Yeah. And she works well. I mean, she, you know, and she, and the, the contrast between the kind of prudish version of herself yeah. as an adult and the kind of, the, you know, kind of, uh, Wild she, child, you right? know, yeah. it's just, especially when she's in the car with Marty and like, you know, they're drinking and then she fires up a cigarette. And it's just like, whoa, she's like, like, what is wow. this? Yeah. <laughs> you smoke too? <laughs> yeah. So, so, and I think she played both parts well. I mean, yeah. so, I mean, you don't see her much as, um, as, as an older Lorraine. Which is but, good because of the makeup. Stuff, yeah. So. But, but um, I think the little bit limited time she was the older Lorraine, I mean, you could see and you could hear it in her voice, like, this disappointment when they when they did something like that, but in the and and she definitely plays the younger version real well. It's just just the dichotomy. She does a real good job balancing both of them. All right, let's uh, let's talk about Biff first, and then we'll we'll go back to Doc. He's good. I don't. I mean, yeah. you know, he's he's pretty perfect in this role as this yeah. kind of like the. He's got the he's got the Johnny Unitas bus yeah. cut, and he's just a jerk. Yeah, granted, it's one note though. I mean, yeah. you, you don't get much character development out of Biff, but I'm pretty sure that was designed on purpose. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I agree. He's he's perfect for the role, and I think uh, Thomas F. Wilson played the role perfectly. So we went on to a yeah. great TV career. Yeah. You know, um, I remember he was he was great in uh, if seen Freaks and Geeks. He was Coach Fredericks. And so he's kind of played that meathead role his entire life, but he's a he's a great actor, yeah. and he really threw it into this, and it, it made it it was a one note role, but he made it very very funny. Yeah, I didn't realize like the because again I, I just remember from the novelizations, you know how Biff cannot get these sayings right, right? He's like <laughs> make like a tree and get out of here. Yeah. I, I guess that that was an ad lib. He yeah, it was ad lib. Yeah. 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 As a kid, I learned a lot of interesting words and phrases from Biff. <laughs> oh, yeah, Butthead. Butthead was another yeah. avenue. <laughs> butthead. Do you guys have anything to say? I mean, yeah, he is, he is kind of one note, but um, yeah. you, what do you guys like about him? You know, I feel like he fit the mold, and especially when you contrast him to Michael J. Fox, um, height-wise, the, he looks like the guy who would pick on, you know, smaller people, uh, the, the, less, the socially awkward like George. And, of course, I don't know, Brad will mention it, that he was picked to be Biff because the other actor they had, I mean, well, they picked him because when Eric Stoltz was in the role, it actually made them look physically bigger than Eric Stoltz because the other guy they had they were going to use to play Biff was going to be the one they were going to use if Michael J. Fox was in. But 
then he wasn't as physically imposing when he's up against Eric Stoltz. Yeah. So, so Stoltz got fired, but Biff got fired also? No, 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 no. no, no. Okay. Biff, the guy, the, the, so the original Biff yeah. that was going to go up um, – He's one of the heavies. Yeah, he, he's, one of, he's one of the side characters. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, with, right. that's right. That's right. With, right. with Billy Zane. He's, yeah. the one that, he's the one with the bus cut. They call it skinhead. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So mm-hmm. not the guy with pretty glasses. Yeah, yeah. no. There's, no, there's – Match, which is Billy Zane, yeah. the guy with the match in his, his mouth. There's 3D glasses guy, mm-hmm. and then there's Skinhead. And that, okay. was, that was who the original Biff was. Like. Let's talk about Doc Brown then, and uh, I'll skip forward to our guests. Um, <laughs> where do you guys want to take it? As I mentioned in the Clue review, Christopher Lloyd has a very versatile acting range, as we've seen from everything from Doc Brown to Judge Doom to. Uh, Oh, taxi. Yeah, taxi. The Reverend Jim uh, from his role in, in Clue. Just everything he's played, he he plays it well and he's versatile. It's like if Jeremy Irons did not, you know, Jeremy Irons put the quirky character out. I mean, at a certain point, there's an episode of Taxi. You look at uh, at Christopher Lloyd as Jim before he went all crazy and went. All on the drug and everything. He looks like Jeremy Irons. He does. I didn't, like, I didn't mention. I didn't see that until you mentioned it. But yeah, <laughs> yeah. Jeremy Irons. If, like I said, instead of him, you know, doing Die Hard. With, well, you could probably see Christopher Lloyd play the same role Jeremy Irons did in Die Hard, just a little more maniacal. Yeah. So Doc is, you know, again, I'm, I'm coming at this from the perspective of somebody who was very, very young when they first watched it. You know. There's, you know, Doc kind of is that, at first, that classic perspective of what you think a mad scientist in a lab is working on, you know, looks like it. He's acting like, he's crazy and all that kind of thing. But I think that another key to his character is that they humanized that idea quite a bit with him. He has goals, he has heart, he has ambition, and of course he's getting roadblocks every step of the way from his house burning down in theory, to just trying to get plutonium, to just having just all sorts of struggles, just trying to build this and achieve this goal and why. And so I think that Doc was one of those first real characters that, uh, you know, was like, that's the kind of like scientist or kind of guy I might actually want to be. I'll even take a little bit of the crazy with it if it gives me that kind of, you know, success in life. Or if I could say I grew up and I invented a time machine. And um, I think Christopher Lloyd kind of portrays that range, like Rose said, very well. He has that human side, but then he also has crazy mad scientist side that he plays very well, too. So, again, Christopher Lloyd's an amazing actor. So, And the interplay between him and Michael J. Fox is fantastic. You know, yeah. I really appreciated watching it just now the scene right towards the end when they're kind of saying goodbye and he's just like you know i've really enjoyed her you know just you could really tell why they'd be friends in the first place because that's a weird thing it's just like why would marty be friends with doc brown you know he takes to him even though this teenager shows up in 1955 this incredibly weird thing and you know he still helps him out and like yeah like in the end he's just like look i've had a great time you know i'm kind of sad that you're going to be gone. I won't be able to talk to you again for 30 years, yeah. you know, in this whole mm-hmm. experience. But, you know, that, that shows that kind of depth that you're talking about. It's not just yeah. him being nutty, nutty professor guy, like running, running around and being like, Marty, Marty, you know, yeah. uh, <laughs> all that stuff. So, so it's almost a buddy comedy. It plays yeah. so well. And there's one yeah. line I love. Yes. He, he, he's getting tired of it. He finally says, why is everything so heavy? I don't get it. 
Oh, yeah. Because, yeah. Because of course, his teenager, all yeah. his, he says heavy like every 10 minutes. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's mm-hmm. like, is, is things heavier in the future? Yeah. Yeah. No, that's good. And, and I think just it, throughout, I mean, his speech patterns, his, his look, his mannerisms, like Marcus taught him, I mean, it just, it just screams. Uh, not maybe not nutty professor, but pretty close. I mean, it's just it's screen mm-hmm. scientist, and just and I love how Lloyd can balance both the dramatic side of it and the eccentric, funny side of it. He does a real good job of it. So, and you know what's funny is that again, you know, Doc Brown is a physicist, and having gone that route myself, and you know, with other physics people in my classes, we would talk about you know, it's like. Who, as we get older, who are we resembling? And Doc would often come out. We can kind of relate towards the end. It's like, yeah, we can kind of relate to why Doc, you know, acts like he does after you go through quantum mechanics and all these things a few times. It's like, yeah, yeah you're going to be a little crazy after you go through that and you see that stuff enough. It's like, yeah, I, we don't care what my hair looks like. Anymore, but did you know the electron spin? Of, you know, it's just, you know, we could we feel like you can kind of relate once you, if you start going down that track. It's bizarre. I think they captured that just actually a little scarily well <laughs> yeah even the even it's funny it's just he's so meticulous right when he's when they build that that the the scale of, of hill valley like when he's trying to explain mm-hmm. the party he's like i'm sorry i didn't have a chance to get it painted but just like he's like yeah why i can so you- relate to that <laughs> i can so relate to that it's bad <laughs> i have that in my notes uh i use a beetle juice reference nice effing model uh just, just uh, taking that scene where, you know, in Beetlejuice where Michael Keaton's in the whole uh, Maitland diorama thing. But, um, yeah, it, it's funny that Doc Brown, you know, just his quirkiness and his eccentricity and just his pursuit of science was such an inspiration. I mean, like I said, mm-hmm. science to me, you know, more than just Star Wars especially. I guess it puts in that science fiction realm that Back to the Future is. Yeah. But I feel like that is one of those things where it's a, um, I don't know, it, like I said, his character is one of those all-time uh, characters that you just really can't, uh, he, it's a very versatile range. Yeah, it is. Yeah. It is. Yeah. And you know, it's funny, and one thing that always helps, it's some of the same thing that helps like shows like Big Bang Theory, um, where like you'll be looking behind Sheldon and you'll see like actual physics equations on board, you know, whereas like if you're like a person who's interested in that stuff and you watch this movie and that's one of those funny like sort of like, I don't know, tropes or whatever you call it. As I got older and I was like, I know what that thing is now. <laughs> you know, yeah. I, I recognize that. I was like, oh, yes, I know that equation behind Sheldon. And, it, you know, a part of me is like, yay. And a part of me is like, OK, I'm crazy, too. <laughs> and, so, and so part of that too is like you know again that was just the thematic the setting what you know Zemeckis and Gale and Spielberg did you know again it it really did contribute I think to the atmosphere the movie gave and so in the atmosphere of Doc too I mean that accuracy and that detail they gave it <laughs> yeah I mean without Christopher Lloyd and Michael J. Fox kind of firing all cylinders the movie doesn't work as well as now it does no. and it really is kind of perfect and you know you you understand the relationship you understand and you understand again why doc brown even though again this outlandish thing that, that's happening to him he has this early buy-in he doesn't it doesn't really take a lot to convince him about what to go on and like how to help marty and, and to figure it out because you know this is i mean that's the thing that's kind of cool is just keep you just assume like you just know that doc is smart and marty's come to him with this problem and he 
has to work it yeah, out. Yeah, he has to work it out even though he is behind the eight ball because he has 30 years less technology and know how to work with. So, you know, it's just impressive. So I, I, I enjoyed that part. And that's mm -hmm. what I love at the beginning of the movie. They throw you right into it. Yeah. They didn't need the joke with the giant, um, was that Empire or whatever? Oh, yeah. So I, just, I love the fact, all you see is Doc Brown's lab, and you see him come in. Yeah. And you're like, what the heck is going it's on just here? It's a slow <laughs> And they it for like 15 minutes. Yeah. It's great. You, you just know? see all these different yeah. plots, and then you see the dog food machine, and that kind yeah. of um, Rube Goldberg mm -hmm. kind of like contraption thing, yeah. and, and it's successful. Mm -hmm. And then you just have that subtle pan to the plutonium. Yeah. You know, and, and, uh, so it's just, it's great. And even, even, um, even Marty's introduction, right? You don't, you just, you just see the shoes and the skateboard and then finally pans up. And, you know, it's watching it again. I just never, I didn't remember that part. And, you know, I was writing my notes, like it's kind of a slow introduction, but it really works. It yeah, really it works. Does. And it's speaking of Disney, you know, it's ballsy. When you watch it for the first time, Doc Brown getting, Gunned down within oh, 15 yeah. minutes of it starting. Yeah. Even you know it's a time travel movie, that really hits. Yeah. And yeah. that, it's a great scene. Yeah. As a kid, it really did have, like, a, it was a, still a shock, you know, even as a yeah. kid. It was like, oh my God. Even Disney, because they, they killed Debbie's mom and everything, but Disney balked at this. But that's, that's more yeah. impactful than a lot of the Disney deaths they have. And even though you know that those are actual deaths. Yeah. Talking about early in the movie, and I don't know if this is on your list of things to discuss, another thing that the movie did, like, really, really well. You know, you're talking about at the beginning of the movie, that, that slow burn, as you said, but as Marty leaves Doc's garage, the first thing you see is like Burger King and you see like this new like retail, the suburbs development of, you know, the economy and in 85. And then when they go to 55, all that stuff that was there is downtown now. And so actually that time switch is a representation of how the economies of cities left from downtown and went to the suburbs. And that was something, again, as a kid, I never paid attention to, but having grown older and knowing more about this economics business, I was like, oh my goodness, that, that was actually something that they had sitting there in the background was actually like supposed to represent that and help establish the time periods and what was going on. And so again, just in the end, another little set of details and just establishing something early on that later on, if you were paying attention, was like, oh, that was what was going on. That's what that meant. <laughs> And another note is that looking at some of the stuff in Doc Brown's house, uh, me and Mark came to the belief that he may have committed insurance fraud and arson to uh, pay for all his experiments. Absolutely. And the only, play, the only way that the Burger King and all those things were able to be built there is because he sold all that property to developers after his uh, house burned down and he was living out of his garage. Lorians aren't cheap. Yeah, <laughs> even back then. <laughs> yeah, I was. I was wondering. I, I I didn't know about that theory, but I was just wondering, like, how did how did Doc Brown get into his money? Because yeah, I mean, he's, he has a nice pad, and obviously, there's a lot of experiments, and those aren't cheap. All that stuff isn't cheap. So, yeah. well, it was it it I think he had money. So yeah. yeah. His family had money um, early on. That's the theory I had. I don't remember exactly what it was that his dad did. I think it might have been a judge, Earl, because we were talking about that last night. In the Telltale video games, his dad was a judge. Doc Brown was a judge. Uh, dad was but, a judge. but obviously a judge wouldn't be getting into that kind of money. But um, his family, as it was revealed in one of the late movies, came into the United States from Germany in the early 1900s. So my thought was that maybe they had money and that's how they got over there. But yeah, I think that that was basically over the course of 30 years, you saw, you know, what was kind of, I don't want to say the decline of Doc, but, you know, he had to basically sell everything because he was 
all in on this one big project. Um, and that's why he sold or at least burnt down a thing. He could collect the insurance money, then sold the property and all put that in towards the time machine. Let's talk about some of the other things. I like for me, appreciating it, watching it again, is they picked, you know, it was in 85 and they picked the exact right time period to go back to in 55. To go in the 40s, like during World War II or the 60s when they got, or 70s when it was a little bit more turbulent. The 50s is like, the at least on the surface, is very picturesque and calm and things were happening. I mean, Brad, you were talking about this. I mean, they kind of danced around a little bit, the kind of uh, the, the 50s racism a little bit with yeah. the Goldie <laughs> and then, um, you know, with uh, with Biff's kind of uh, buddies there when, um, you know, they're trying to pick a fight. Uh, they, they throw Marty in the trunk and uh, the band is like, what? And then, you know, yeah. <laughs> Those uh, it, comments are on my list too because yeah. that was of the mm-hmm. problematic variety. And, and it is interesting. It's the burgeoning part of the civil rights movement. Maybe it hadn't stressed to California either. And, you know, again, 55 and everything starting in 54 and desegregation, all that stuff, who knows. But a lot of those things that uh, were mentioned, that you mentioned, uh, were on my list as well about uh, those things, sort of, you know. Yeah, like, yeah. Um, and, you know, I guess hats off to um, the guy who runs the diner. He's pretty progressive because, like, I think in real life, like, Goldie probably wouldn't be moving around so freely, right? Yeah. I, I think, right? Or, like, he, right. they... they they seem to have a rapport that's a little bit more like 80s style where it's just like, oh, yeah. you know, employees can kind of give the boss. A little bit. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, yeah. He, he talked back a little bit and, and, and he was like, yeah, just, just keep sweeping. Yeah. I mean, they, they joke with each other. I mean, like in, in the 50s, that would probably be like, yeah, but clean up these streets. It's like, yeah. clean up this stuff. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. I mean, but, so, I mean, it's, but yeah, no, I, I it was something that I discussed with Ben and I think it's, yeah. uh, Ben said it's kind of, yeah, kind of true. I mean, you but, just kind of like, yeah. This so. is my fingers dancing. Yeah. As opposed to dancing around it. Yeah. yeah. I, I got, you're talking about this, the racism and the joke and the band. I just can't let it go. It's a joke, but it's a bad joke that mm-hmm. Marty McFly gave Chuck Berry his music. Yeah. I, I can't, every time I see it, I, I just want to cry. It's a, it's a really lazy and bad joke. Well, it's the only one in the movie. I just can't stand. I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna take it a little further. I just, it's it seems like now not all the time, but like mid to late in the movie, they're they're sort of like laissez faire about the time travel. I mean, like um, like Keith mentioned that Marty created rock and roll. Um, like Lorraine kissing Marty and then suddenly stopping is like. I don't know. It's not like I was like kissing my brother or something. It's like yeah. it's I just. And then in the end, when like Doc's telling Marty and and uh, Jennifer about their kids, I mean, and 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 he takes them to the future. I was like, it, it strikes me a little odd, especially like in the beginning where Doc was all serious about the time travel and everything. It was like almost a one eighty. They flipped around, but um, I think I think like Doc's turnaround is probably again. You're realizing like here's this here's this teenager who's come from the future yeah. and then you know we're friends and I you know just like he he's telling me something and he's just like what the hell with that you yeah, know, yeah. <laughs> and all uh, you know that part but um, yeah yeah I I know it's yeah it's a it's a little weird um, I guess the other nitpick if we're kind of in, in that part of one of one of the two um, to caveat of this one I think the one nitpick is. So it's 1985, and Lorraine and George, they don't find it odd at all that this guy from the 1950s who got them together 
His son, their son looks exactly like this guy. <laughs> that doesn't, that doesn't cross their mind at all. Actually, Ben, in trivia, I did find something about that where I, I don't, I don't remember if it's Hesketh or Gale. Yeah. I think it's Gale. They, he explained that that little loophole. Okay. Okay. So I'll, I, in trivia, I'll tell that to you. But, uh, okay. but, uh, but it, that was that was one that I kind of agreed with you. But after reading that trivia, I was like, oh, okay, that. that Makes some sense. I mean, you know, I mean, I guess I can, you know, explain it. You know, it's like none of them took a picture with him. I mean, and you know, mm -hmm. it's just like thirty years, your memory fades. Yeah, you know, yeah. maybe you don't remember this guy, but I mean, it wasn't just a guy who was on a class trip with them. I mean, this guy is a pivotal force in their life. Like he got them together. Yeah. <laughs> so that was the one loophole I always like identified. I also kind of always attributed it to. It's like, well, Marty didn't look like that Marty until like maybe the 80s. So maybe over the course of 25 years, their memory got bad, you know, yeah. they didn't remember. But you know, it's like, as you said, because there wasn't any pictures uh, that they had of Marty from 55. Yeah. But it's like, again, I, I would feel like, like you said, that it's like, if there was somebody that pivotal yeah. to my future and my life, I probably remember their face for a while, but I don't know, you know. <laughs> I mean, what the question be all of a sudden, Hey, he looks like that guy we knew 30 years ago. And why does my son look like that guy? Oh, yeah, no. <laughs> 30 years ago. Mm -hmm. I mean, and maybe George, you know, maybe George a little more progressive, whatever, you know. We all, you know, maybe mm -hmm. he's like, whatever, it happened. So, and just kept moving. Well, since we're in the final chapter, so I mean, just one more thing. I think the very ending, what I love about it is that they're going on date night, the two of them, and his girlfriend, this old guy, she just jumps in the car. Like, okay, yeah. this is a different thing. We're, we're going to go back. We're, we're going to throw in the future. Why not? It's really, really funny. The, yeah. other, the, other, the other thing I, I did want to address on the nitpicky side is, um, can we talk about Biff's attempted rape? Oh. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was on my list. Biff's rapist slash predator. Mm -hmm. I mean, and, and, yeah. and, and at the end, they're just like, oh, Biff. Yeah. You know, yeah. what a jerk. <laughs> <laughs> he was the guy who got us together. It's like, yeah, yeah. when you try to rape Lorraine. Yeah. Well, some other guy in the dance like grabs her too. I'm yeah. gonna you know. Apparently, guys in the fifties were just terrible. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. No, I mean, <laughs> well, well, oh, was yeah. really handy yeah. with Lorraine. I mean, like yeah. in the cafeteria. Yeah. yeah. But they're just like, oh, Biff. Yeah. It's like never mind, like, you know. Yeah. Never mind, yeah. like, what a rape, Lorraine. Yeah. Yeah. Probably broke George's arm or something like yeah. that. Yeah. But I and and I agree with you on a lot of it. But I can kind of see the other side. It's it's almost like that's the personality of George and Lorraine McFly, though. I mean. George McFly is sort of just—he he doesn't want confrontation. So, so instead right. of like holding a grudge, he's like, okay, well, it, he's like he's helping them out a little bit. Yeah. It's like Biff might be on hard times, so he's got wash cars to make money. So, I mean, it's it's. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I can sort of see. I see both points of view. I see the yeah, you should be like you should want nothing to do with a guy that almost raped your wife, but. I mean, but I can also see it's like, well, it's almost like the George McFly personality, though. So, um, mm -hmm. to sort of like, I don't want to say forgive and forget, but he's, yeah. So, but I just kind of attributed to that that punch from George at the dance was one hell of a punch. Yeah. <laughs> Gave Biff a concussion and kind of maybe we you know, that's but no. I, and the entire high school world. I mean, yeah, you know. Yeah. So. yeah, but that but that is that was one hell of a punch. Let's let's, yeah. let's say that. that was, I mean, not, not not only did it did it connect, but not it, it like not fit for a loop. Like, we had the days like, I mean it, it was a bloodied him, right? What's that? It bloodied it, it bloodied Biff's mouth, right? Yeah, it did. Oh uh, yeah. 
Yeah. He was bleeding a bit. <laughs> All I'm saying is that Biff should probably went to Vietnam and died. That's okay. He should have been the same platoon as Forrest Gump. Oh, and he would have died. Oh, oh, man. Give him a hero's death like Bubba. Don't give him a hero's death. This is terrible. He's an attempted rapist. is what I'm saying. But then you just gave him a hero's death like Bubba. That's not fair to Bubba. I Robert Zemeckis movie anyway. Then you're digging your hole. Maybe 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 Garrison he's they, maybe they should have just fragged him, you know. It's <laughs> also 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 uh, it, it also proves that George McFly's young Mike Tyson. I'll just say that too. So he's got, uh, <laughs> he's got That's an interesting perspective. <laughs> I will say this uh, yeah, yeah. when he and Steph were watching the movie and we hadn't seen it in a while, and it's like, man, she she was sort of like jarred by that whole thing with Beth, and it's like he really is trying to he's really trying to rape her, and that's like, mm-hmm. yeah, that that if you you know as a kid it's one thing, but as an adult you see that and it's like, yeah, mm-hmm. no, yeah, it's it's off putting. Yeah. What's that called? Where there's a it's not Stockholm syndrome, I don't think. Where Lorraine, you know, because so George like saved her, and so Lorraine falls in love with the one yeah. who saved her. Yeah, it's the opposite. Yeah, but that's yeah. kind of you know, as an adult, you know, again as a kid, it's something that I didn't fully wasn't conscious of. As an adult, it really is like, ooh. She goes know. from Florence Nightingale syndrome to something else, uh, and and. Right. Yeah. So Lorraine's a psychotic, basically. That's what we determine. <laughs> Mentally <laughs> unstable. Let's not blame the victim. It's Biff. Uh, it's all yeah. Biff. Yeah. Oh yeah, Biff is definitely psychotic too. Don't get me wrong. I guess in that case, George asserted dominance with that punch, and you know, the the peck, like you said earlier, the pecking cha- the pecking order changed yeah, yeah. just by that one punch. Yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, I Honestly, though, I, and yeah. I know this wasn't who it was, but the, um, when Marty's performing, the guy 
that's to his right that's got the long hair. I almost thought that that was Tom Petty for a little bit. I was looking, I was like, I was like, that looks almost like Tom Petty. I was like, it's it's not credited. He's not. It's not credited for Tom Petty. So I'm assuming that's not. But um, but yeah, I was like, I was like, man, that, that looks like you had Huey Lewis there. I was like, yeah, I have another rock star there. Why not? So, Why not? But. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know. Also, I mean, yeah, we Sylvester score. And did we, I was gonna say, do we want to talk about the um, the rewrites? You know, the pre-final script ideas. You know how the script evolved a little bit. Yeah, yeah. No, I know Earl and I have talked a little bit about that. I don't know how much you guys have looked into that. Sure. sure. I mean, it might be in Brad's trivia, um, but yeah, uh, no, I, no fire away. I didn't. I didn't look at the trivia as much as I usually do because between Brad and I know you guys are experts, so you probably, you know, you'll probably bring it up uh, before I would. But uh, yeah, what like what kind of tweaks were there? The big one, probably the most notable one in my mind, was that originally the time machine was not supposed to be a car at all. It was supposed to be a refrigerator. Oh, that's right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I'll just tell you something. You know, when I read through that script, you know, I did it a few years ago. I have not full detail, all the little details, but I'm just like, there's something about having the time machine as a car that adds just some element to it. I can't imagine that, you know, the whole time traveling goes back. And you know, he, Marty hops into a refrigerator because the way that he was supposed to go back, <laughs> well, I think, I was think, that, I think it's better than a, time machine, or a hot tub for a time machine. So, <laughs> yeah. uh, oh, no, I think, yeah. I think it goes, it goes DeLorean hot tub <laughs> then refrigerator. That's my vote. DeLorean hot tub. That seems because the car wouldn't work without the DeLorean because yeah. it has to open like that. The yeah. goalway, it was, yeah, it was yeah. perfect. Yeah. You know? Right, exactly. And originally, because the refrigerator was going to you know, do it by, you know, it was 1955, so there were still atomic testings at the time. And so the refrigerator with Marty was going to be at one of those testing sites. <laughs> and that's how he was going to get back to 85. Wow. And I'm like, that sounds more ludicrous than the actual plot. It sounds like they were smoking something crazy to come up with that. He turned into the Hulk before he would go back in time. Exactly. But that was the biggest plot difference. Um, there were some differences. With the refrigerator, before you go on, Mark, it, did, it yeah. wouldn't work then, and it didn't work in Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. It just... <laughs> there you go. I'm sorry, go ahead. No, I was just saying that's probably the single biggest. There's some character differences. Like I think um, uh, Biff's role is actually a bit less and um, there's not as much of a focus on George from what I remember. It's more about that Lorraine is in love with Marty and Marty's kind of like, no, no, I'm not the one, you know, go somewhere. Yeah. Um, there's still the dance scene. Um, Doc is of course still there. Um, I'm just, I'm trying to remember the details at the top of my head, but um, it, there's the, the biggest difference are the, any scene that involves the Lorian or involves, you know, the problem of Marty of like trying to get, you know, the plutonium or trying to get 1.21 gigawatts. That's like, none of that's there. And yeah. so, and I thought about it, it's like, you know, even though it is comedy and all those stories, like I'm misimagining filming that. And it's like, yeah, that would be, I think a very significantly different kind of movie tone and all. Yeah. And, and so, just a little bit of a side note. Lorraine has a little bit of a stalker-esque feel to her at times too. I just, yep. Uh, just, there's just, just, just little note. I know. I, I just thought of. So I mean, you can say the same thing about Marty because he just keeps following George. Well, like, why are you following? <laughs> but there's a reason behind it for Marty. I mean, it's Lorraine's just like badly in love with. Uh, She's his boyfriend. She's yeah, attached to his girlfriend. Yeah, borderline stalkers. But no, anyway, so. Well, I have to, uh, 
I have to say that there's a couple of things taking up line from Brad. There's some plot induced stupidity. Um, deciding to take the cotton underwear first instead of the plutonium. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. I, and also another thing you notice that I mean maybe it's a it's maybe um, a commentary about the DeLorean car itself that is a piece of junk that the car broke down a couple of times. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, it that's a concern. I don't know if it was whether it was a wear or tear from traveling, you know, back in time or this in yeah. fact the car was crappy because didn't they use like a Rolls Royce engine or something in place of the actual DeLorean engine or maybe it was a some other type of car? I believe it was a Rolls Royce, right? It was Rolls Royce or it was like a must it was an expensive car. We'll say yeah. that. They, it was it was the it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's a headbutt to the steering wheel. Yeah. So sometimes, sometimes, sometimes you just gotta Fonzie it. You just gotta just find the right spot. <laughs> exactly. So, there you go. This movie, this movie was really the first impression of me. It's like, okay, this is how I drive. If something goes wrong, you either smack the thing or you honk the horn or you just, you, you know, you open the thing and it's like, okay, the gas, make sure not to run out of gas. Yeah. And apparently cars can run off plutonium. <laughs> Apparently, so. Marty's a good driver, you know. Um, when he swings, yeah. to take those terrorists. Um, you know, he's cornering pretty good. And uh, I mean, the and uh, hopefully I'm not the only one, but I think any of us who've like been at a mall when it's empty at night, I think you have that one. You have that one kind of like Back to the Future vibe. To <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> Yeah, I did it once at our mall. I drove around. I didn't. I don't have a DeLorean, but I did kind of go around and kind of feel like you know this house is crazy because <laughs> I just was doing that. And the thing is, and I, it was again something as a kid I noticed. There was a point at which it looks like the DeLorean strafes. Like it literally looks like the DeLorean's going sideways yeah. as he's leaving the Libyans. And I was just like, I want to drive like that. I want to do that with my car. <laughs> it's like now it's like, oh, that was kind of dangerous and all that. But speaking of the Libyans, um, I was talking about this with Earl before. I think it also, again, shows like that drive and there's some of that craziness of Doc. You know, he was able to get the plutonium because these Libyans contacted him and say, hey, you know, you're a scientist. We want you to build a bomb. And so he's like, you know, he's sitting there and he's like, you know, first of all, how did the Libyans contact him? How did they find him? Yeah. And then he's like, so what does he does? Sure, I'll build you a bomb. Now I'm going to take the plutonium and build my time machine. I'm going to give you pinball machine parts. Yeah. Have fun. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, that's some, that's some guts. Yeah. When he explains it to Marty, he's just very nonchalant. He's yeah. like, yeah, it's like, and then I just did that. It's like, like, and Marty's like, uh, what? oh no. Uh, but yeah, and actually, if you want to take the darker route, maybe Doc contacted the Libyans first. And if they get plutonium, I mean, do you want to take it a darker route? But, um, let's yeah. Friendly. We'll just say the Libyans contacted him first. Well, I mean, that's, I mean, he could have, I mean, if he's kind of savvy like that, he's like, they'll steal it for me. And <laughs> I will rip them off. And that'll be Drive and ambition will make you do crazy things. I, w I would not put that past Doc. <laughs> I really wouldn't. <laughs> so, but I, I don't know. You know, I just, and. Rewatching it, I just enjoy the subtle things that they did between, mm -hmm. you know, 55 and 85. Yeah. You know, how the Twin Pine Mall became the, what the, was it, Lone Pine? Lone Pine. You know, setting up, um, setting up Goldie's Bear, uh, you know, mm -hmm. just like the, the, the clock and all that stuff. It's, yeah. Um, you know, it just... It connects. Yeah, it's like what the guy was saying. It just, no... There's no real big plot hole. If like if it's introduced in the first act, 
him address it by the end of the third act. And, uh, you know, yeah. that's really a good mark, mark of good writing. So, yeah. you know, hats mm-hmm. off to that. Um, what else do you guys want to talk about? What do we, what do we missed? I'll add this, a couple things on my notes. We, we actually, surprisingly, have touched on a lot of stuff on my notes. Lorraine being a stalker, Biff and his, uh, his predatory nature. I will say this. Hill Valley High School looked like it was a massive school just by mm-hmm. just by the layout and where everything is. And then you add, here's the gym and everything else. And then Principal Strickler's office is on the, uh, it's, uh, on the other side of campus. And it looked like a massive, massive school. Mm-hmm. I, uh, another note about, I'm sorry, Earl, were you going to say something? Oh, no, I was going to just talk about the background actors, how their looks just them responding to some of the action going on, like when George tells Marty about uh, Darth Vader visiting and then just the, the husband and wife who just look at him like he's crazy. <laughs> I was just going to say about the high school, um, again, kind of like we've all said, you know, you, you watch this movie, I've seen this movie hundreds of times, and even to this day, it seems like every time I watch it, I'm still seeing something new. One of the more things, recent things in recent years, not to take this off on a huge tangent, um, but you know, we've all played Cards Against Humanity. And I, when if you look at um, Hill Valley High, they, you know, as it's evolved, you know, there's graffiti all over the walls in 85 and all that kind of thing. As a kid, I never paid attention to it. But one time watching it a few years ago, I saw some words on it that were words that are in our Cards Against Humanity games that I don't <laughs> want to repeat. And so just things like that, that as I've gotten older, I've noticed it's like, does that say what I think it says on there? And I pause and I go back, it's like, oh my God, yes, it is. <laughs> I'm thinking of a specific S word. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's graffitied on the side of that school. And again, it's just another detail where it's like, yeah, the school was, was nice and new back in 55, and then in 85, they're spray painting crap all over it. And so just, again, there's so many little details all through the movie that, again, it just still feels like that's like I watch it and I'm still finding something new, which is amazing to me. <laughs> I will add one more note, is, if you don't mind. Um, that really looking at it for 35 years we've come a long way in technology just from 85 to now i Mm -hmm. mean there's still plenty of things to go no flying cars no true hoverboard but you know this zoom is is an example of what we saw on number two um and i know we're trying to stay away from the sequels but that's an example of just the technology of how far the thing would come we we can't even find a phone booth anymore uh to be to be honest we have drones now. Yeah. 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 <laughs> you know, that's one of those things, again, coming from the perspective of someone who's, you know, studied the science behind it formally. It really was as I got older and as I started learning more about the physics of just, you know, you know, time travel and all that kind of thing where it's like, you know, unfortunately, like that idea about traveling back in time is really not a theoretically realistic idea. And that was just one of those things where it's like, but it's still, even though, you know, and that's one of the criticisms actually that like people I'm around, it's like, oh, well, that's not actually how it works. And it's like, well, guess what? Of course not. But does it still inspire you? Yeah. Does it still kind of give you ideas? Does it still let your imagination roll? No, you may not actually be able to go back to 55. But, you know, again, that's not necessarily the purpose. They could only be so scientifically accurate and still keep the plot moving, you know, kind of thing. So, I mean, that was one of those disappointing things when I was in my teens and realized it's like, now you can't actually really go back to 1955 and affect things. You can only actually kind of like 
see what's going on, but still, it was still the idea of like being able to see things in the past and be able to experience things alongside those people. That was still just, I get I think a timeless idea. <laughs> I will say this one thing I do lament before I know I'm going to hold it up. I know Brad wants to go into his trivia. I do lament the fact that there was never a suitable back to the future video game. Yeah. Yes. Ever. I mean, other than Until the telltale game or, I feel like you could do a Lego Back to the Future game. I'll take that over what we got from LJN from the two Nintendo games. And like I said, the fact that you have to have a Japanese import for Super Nintendo like Mark has of the Back to the Future game there to get anything that's somewhat semblance of an action game. Or right. Game all. That's, that's Super Back to the Future from Japan was the best <laughs> video game, anything that Back to the Future had for... 25 years. Yeah. It's awful kind of thing. Well, before we go into trivia, if I can make a plug. Yeah, and, um, I, and I, I had a couple of points too. But. Um, speaking of Michael J. Fox, there was a movie a couple of years ago which you guys should check out. It's not a perfect movie but, at all, but it's called See You Yesterday. It's about these kids who want to make a time machine and it has to do with one of their siblings' death. But Michael J. Fox is a professor in that. And the fact that he was in there is amazing. It, it's it's not as funny, but it has a lot of heart. It's just a movie, a little movie on Netflix by a guy made his first movie, and Michael J. Fox is in it, so check it out. You know? Nice. I'll look that up. Thank uh, you. Two things, both skateboard related. <laughs> Besides inventing rock and roll, did I? And I, we had a similar conversation, Mark, when uh, when View to a Kill and Roger Moore and uh, snowboarding. But did mm-hmm. Martin McFly invent skateboarding, and also? Have any of us ever tried that, like, um, you know, hitching a ride with somebody, like the whole ride grab, the back, yeah, yeah, back of a car, yeah, it's because that one guy, you know, in the in the '80s, in the, when he's riding that Jeep, that guy looks back and he's just like, yeah. he doesn't even care. It's just like, you know, you know Back to the Future. I, I had a skateboard as a kid. I was horrible at it i just you know i have no physical abilities like that whatsoever you know but i I was again the movie was one of those reasons i want to try skateboarding and i'll just tell you i yes i would say it's possible right the the car is not going like 40 miles an hour if it was going like 20 in like downtown yeah but um yeah you know marty was an excellent skateboarder and um i I think that actually like the original story skateboarding was around in like the 1800s there's native americans i think that actually invented it or something i'm not totally sure about that but i think that maybe yeah you could say that marty at least introduced it to like in a modern way the movie (laughs) kind of thing but yeah i did think i was always like like the epitome of cool marty's on the skateboard riding in the back of a jeep wrangler (laughs) it's amazing (laughs) It is California, so there's probably a little more laid back. I'm like, eh, you know. Yeah. If it happened in New York, it's something different, you know. Yeah. That, is yeah. a, that is a very cool scene when, um, you know, he, he throws down with Biff in the diner, and they're chasing him, and he's, they got him pinned in the front of the car, and then he just, like, you know, he, he, gets, on the, he yeah. gets off the skateboard, and he runs across across the length of the car and gets back on a skateboard and they crash into the door pile. I mean, that's pretty cool. Yeah. That's a great scene. <laughs> Plus, it's also a nice running gag throughout the whole series. Yeah, so. yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know. I guess this is the only... The later ones where it really disgusts me where, like, he gets in his mouth and stuff where just like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, I'm looking up skateboarding right now and everything I'm seeing is saying that it was invented in the 40s or 50s in California. Yep, there you go. Why did they fly? 
So it's much better than rock and roll joke. Yeah. <laughs> That's, it's just amazing to me how they used some of those like inventions being like, oh yeah, that was Marty. You didn't know that, but that was Marty. <laughs> I will uh, this. One last thing, one last note just before uh, Brad, he gets in the run tomatoes and all that good stuff mm -hmm. is, uh, I saw a tweet just yesterday. Somebody was like, maybe time travel is real and maybe somebody keeps trying to travel back to 2020 and fix things for us and that's why things are disappearing that's why like the murder hordes were a big thing like a month ago and now we don't even talk about it because it's like they're trying to fix that but then other things are being messed up because of that so they're trying to perfect that either, either that or they, they knew something was coming in 2019 so they tried to stop and unfortunately they created yeah 19 other problems <laughs> yeah. Yeah. that taking it down another dark road so so but uh all right, so you want to do Rotten Tomatoes? I'll do some accolades real quick. Okay, um, uh, this movie was number 28 on Entertainment Weekly's list of 50 best high school movies. Like I said, that's <laughs> what they said. Uh, Empire voted it 23rd on the greatest films of all, all time. Um, New York Times listed it as one of the 1,000 greatest movies of all time. The film was preserved in the U.S. National Film Registry in 2007. Uh, AFI's 10 Top 10 named it the 10th best film in the sci-fi genre. And uh, let's get some Rotten Tomatoes real quick. Um, who wants to go first? Let's take a crack at it. Go ahead, Earl. Is it out of five? I, I've, I've forgotten how Rotten Tomatoes goes. Uh, it's just, uh, just name a percentage for how high you think the critics like it and how high you think the audience like it, uh, percentage-wise. Audience like it, 87%. Critics like it, 84 Okay. I'm okay. going with audience, 92 and critics, 80 All right. Um, I'll go. Um, I'll say 87 for critics, and I'll go 88 for audience. Okay. I think you all doubt America. I'm going to go 95 across the board. Everybody loves this movie. Keith is the closest. 96% um, for the critics. That's 81 wow. reviews. Audience gave it 94%, and that's 1,094,639. Glad to hear. Yeah, I, I believe. I have faith in critics again. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I believe that's the highest audience audience reviews we've had since we've been doing this uh, retro review. Do some trivia real quick, Ben. Sure, sure. Right. And um, uh, Mark and Earl, you guys know as well, so I'm sure there's some some extra ones. So. Yeah, we 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 went over a couple of these. So um, uh, it was mentioned rights to the film and its sequels are owned by Robert Zemeckis and Bob Gale. Um, in 2015 interviews, Zemeckis maintained that no reboot or remake would be authorized during his and Gale's lifetime. In a 2010 cash reunion, Michael J. Fox said that strangers still call him McFly. One instance when he was in the country of Bhutan, um, a group of Buddhist monks passed by and one called him Marty McFly. So, the script was rejected 44 times before it was finally greenlit. Apparently Ronald Reagan was amused by Doc Brown's disbelief that an actor like him could be president. <laughs> So much so that the rejection is stop and replay the scene. So, um, Claudia Wells, who played Jennifer Parker in, in the movie, uh, gave up her role to Elizabeth Shue for the sequels due to her mother being diagnosed with cancer. Christopher Lloyd stated that he always wanted to do one more movie in which Marty and Doc Brown time traveled back to ancient Rome. The inspiration for the films large, uh, from this film largely stems from Bob Gale's discovery uh, discovering his father's high school yearbook and wondered whether he would have been friends with his father as a teenager. Doc's distinctive hunched-over look uh, developed because of the extreme height difference with Fox uh, 
with him and Fox. Um, Lloyd is six foot one, and uh, Michael J. Fox is five foot four. Uh, this was the top grossing film in 1985. When Thomas F. Wilson is asked about the movie, he would hand uh, hand them a postcard of FAQs as a time saver. So, <laughs> so, so. Good for him. Um, <laughs> minor casting uh, casting what ifs here. Um, for the part of uh, Doc Brown, some uh, actors in consideration were James Woods, oh, God. Um, John Lithgow, Dudley Moore. The size difference between Dudley Moore and Michael J. Fox is like the only guy who would see eye to eye, probably. Yeah, so. yeah. And last but not least, Jeff Goldblum. That's the one I've always heard. He would have been pretty good. Yeah. Uh, oh, I couldn't imagine him as Doc Brown, but man. Yeah. I Especially if he followed it up with Jurassic Park. Good God. Yeah. <laughs> um, for uh, Biff Tannen, uh, Tim Robbins was considered for the role of Biff Tannen. So. And um, even though uh, Michael J. Fox was the first choice, um, some others considered uh, were Johnny Depp, uh, John Cusack, and Charlie Sheen. So. Oh yeah, Charlie Sheen. Two out of those. Th well, I guess all three would have been very sort of problematic now when you look good back at it. You know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. so. I, I also just want to shout out a couple other people that are in oh. this movie. Um, Jason Hervey, who uh, would be the bigger brother of uh, Fred Savage in The Wonder Years. Oh yeah. And also mm -hmm. um, the I like um, Marty's siblings. You know, the, the the older brother is Jimmy Olsen in Superman, which I didn't realize. <laughs> yeah. And then uh, mm -hmm. also just R.I.P. Uh, what's her name? Wendy Joe's Barber. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I was sad. I, I didn't realize she passed away until I looked her up. You know. Uh, so. She was in Moving Violations. Uh, that movie, Moving Violations. <laughs> that was yeah, a crazy driving movie. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I know Ben was mentioning about the um, about the the plot hole about um, McFly helping out, not yeah. recognizing him. Uh, in April 2020, Back to the Future screenwriter Bob Gale finally decided to explain the pothole question about. Um, why Marty's parents didn't re remember him as a kid in high school who got him together. Um, he told the Hollywood Reporter, quote, bear in mind that George and Lorraine only knew Marty slash Calvin for eight days when they were 17, and they did not even see him every one of those eight days. So many years later, they still might remember that interesting kid who got them together on their first date. Um, but I would ask anyone to think back on their own high school days and ask themselves how well they remember Ingo. You might have been at their school for even a semester or someone you went out with just one time. If you had no photo reference after 25 years, you probably have just a hazy recollection. So Lorraine and George might think it's funny that one of their act, one of that they once actually met someone named Calvin Klein. And even if they thought their son at age 16 or 17 had some resemblance to them, it wouldn't be a big deal. So uh, the only counter I would be is at the end when he's saying goodbye to him. Lorraine says, you know, Marty, that's a good name. Yeah. So they have that connection. <laughs> I, yeah, that's bad. Yeah, but you probably, <laughs> I think it also bears to some of these saying, it's like, you might just remember the one guy was like, mentioned the name Marty, and it just in passing, you just, you had that in your back of the bed. You're like, oh, Marty, I've heard that name somewhere. That might be a good name. So. Mm -hmm. And then Marty went I'm glad. I'm just glad that Bob agrees with me. Bob agrees Wow. Wow. He's like Don. He's like Don Draper. He, yeah. Good Lord, man. Uh, <laughs> all right. What, 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 this this took a dark, dark turn. So, what do we what do we what do we miss? Any, do you guys have any other parting shots? I guess of uh, Back to the Future. I just 
I just had one question, you know, just getting people's opinions. And um, we've talked about if Eric was in the movie instead of Michael. Um, I've always been curious, you know, Michael J. Fox was very well known in 1985 because of family ties. You know, he was an established star. He was a teen idol. I've always wondered if Michael was not on family ties, if he was an actor, but maybe he wasn't as so well known, would the movie have done as well? You know, if, assuming that Michael, you know, acting chops were just as good, but because of Michael's fame, is that ultimately what pushed it over or would the movie you think have still been successful? I think the movie would have been successful. It might not have been the highest grossing movie in 1985, but I think Michael J. Fox's acting skills make it, make it well enough known that and, and, and is, is at least good enough to help carry the film to probably may not be blockbuster level, but it would be pretty close in my opinion. So Yeah, I, I think, you know, having him as a TV star, there's some instant cachet. And, uh, you know, the mm-hmm. videos were like, okay, this guy might be able to get some butts in the seats. But if the performance is the same, I mean, you know, it's, it's a great movie. Uh, and it holds up. And, I mean, obviously, if we showed it to some folks now who hadn't seen it before and they enjoyed it. I mean, they don't know Michael J. They, I mean, Michael right. J. Fox really isn't in the public conscience anymore. He doesn't do a Not lot. Not really anymore, no. <laughs> but, I mean, it's just the strength of his performance and it is chemistry with uh, Christopher Lloyd and the rest of the cast. I think they still would have done it because there are plenty of movies that have kind of no-name casts and, um, you know, they're still able to be blockbusters. So, at least that's my thought. Yeah. I still think the movie ends up still having that popularity. And then, of course, remember, they had shot Teen Wolf. Michael J. Fox shot Teen Wolf before this. So, I mean, who knows what happened? I mean, Teen Wolf still gets, the, the as they say in pro wrestling, the rub from Back to the Future because Michael J. Fox was in it. So, right. I mean, I don't know about that. I do want to add that noticing this and the height differential and everything, is it – that Marty suffers from either Napoleon syndrome or just the fact that he overcompensates <laughs> because his dad is so spineless. And that it could be one of those two things. I mean, I mean, before they started adding the chicken thing in part two and three, uh, he didn't seem like he'd be a guy to back down from any challenge. Yeah, yeah. Napoleon is was my idea. Was my not my idea, but my were my bogus. What it is. And because we all know that Napoleon was actually regular size and not a really short guy. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. But definitely Napoleon syndrome, I think, is part of that. I am with you there. <laughs> I will add one note from the cartoon. Bill Nye is, got his exposure on Back to the Future cartoon before his show became in the thought conscious. Right. Um, he did the segments in between the actual science experiments during the cartoon. So that was his first like real nationwide exposure. <laughs> one last question for you guys specifically, and then we'll wrap it up. Um, I, I don't even know if it's still around. I know there's that one guy who had a DeLorean around Berlin. Did you guys know that guy, or did you ever like see, get that get to see that DeLorean up close? That was the Boomers guy, or his son, or something yeah. um, at Boomers, because that DeLorean used to be on the shirts of the Boomers T-shirts before you know Boomers oh, okay. closed down. And I well, think his license plate did say "Out of Time," didn't it, Earl? Yeah. It may have. Yeah, <clears throat> I'm trying to think. I, I can't. I think I the first time I actually saw it, I was at one of your softball games, Ben. Oh, really? You know, when Earl was coaching, because he was there. I, I remember I was like, is that a DeLorean? Oh, my God, it is. And so I ran over, and I'm like, I saw the license man. I was like, who is this guy? I need to find this guy. Who is this? <laughs> I wonder if it was a second DeLorean, because I thought the, the Boomers guy um, was different from that DeLorean we saw, which I Maybe. did have that photo on, like, uh, Instagram. But, yeah, I'm trying to think. 
if that was the same one or not. But I mean, because everybody talk about, yeah, you can see DeLorean driving around the streets of Berlin a lot. Yeah. There are a few DeLoreans on the Eastern Shore, um, and I think, as many of us know, DeLorean as a company is back, and they're selling automobiles again. Yeah. And so I'm actually here in the Annapolis area, seeing every once in a while one, um, but they're pricey. I mean, it's like you, yeah. you're not getting one for less than like sixty, seventy thousand dollars. I mean, so you got to have some bucks to yeah. own a DeLorean. And it's not like if it breaks down, it's like you can just go to the dealer or Pet yeah. Boys. Exactly right. It, the repairs on even the old DeLoreans were expensive. You know, in the '80s, which is kind of what one of those you know factors I contributed to why it was breaking down in the movie a bit because <laughs> it was hard to fix it then. Now it's just as hard. You know, the company's back. Yeah. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, let me look at the timer here. Yeah, we've talked a long time about this movie. <laughs> so, <laughs> it's getting close this, to two hours. This so. might be this might be a record on at least for a segment, but yeah. um, for a single movie, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, just uh, do you guys have anything you want to plug real quick? Um, Earl, Mark, do you have anything uh, you want to check out? Uh, Mark, you go ahead first. If you got anything, Isaac. I'm just basically, you know, streaming on Twitch, you know, it's in, um, check me out there and otherwise just looking forward and, you know, to hopefully being on a future one. Maybe we talk about Back to the Future 2 and 3. <laughs> or eventually when James Bond comes back, maybe. Yeah, yes, that's right, too, since that's gone into late again. <laughs> oh, boy. Um, well, I hope to be back, especially uh, when... Uh, hopefully when Ghostbuster Afterlife comes out, that'll be something I'll look forward oh, to yeah. next year. But hopefully I'll be on well before that. Uh, coming up on the Sports Refuge podcast after a long-awaited uh, hiatus, um, we're going to have the live results of the thing, uh, of the 4th of July draft yeah. that uh, Ben yeah. and Brad participated in and that Mark commented on in the comments. And that I was, was a great stream. That was a great time to watch. <laughs> <laughs> And it may be hungry as heck, too. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. All right. Well, uh, speaking of plugs and stuff, uh, Keith, are you? Oh, yeah. Um, stuff, you know, we can do our plug. You can reach us at moviesandameal.og at gmail.com. We're on uh, Twitter at moviesandameal. And I believe our platforms are we're on Apple, Stitcher, iHeartRadio now, and one more. Spotify. Spotify, Spotify yeah. yeah. <laughs> iHeartRadio is our new platform. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks to Mark and Earl for coming on. Back yeah. to Future is a classic, and we're glad to have seen it again. Yep. Uh, but for episode 98, I'm Ben. Keep Brad. Peace. See you.